Hi, this is Jim Lyon. You're listening to Viewpoint. And with me today, Bob Moss. Hi, Jim. Bob works with me here at Church of God Ministries, and we are friends of long standing. I'm not even going to go on and on about how many years I've known you, but let's put it this way I knew you before I got married. Absolutely. <laughs> That's it a is, long time it's ago. It's been a long time. And a faithful and true friend through all of those years, and also a great brother in the ministry to which we have both been called. And here at Viewpoint today, Bob, thanks for coming in and joining us as we have been put together side by side these days, just like we were way back when we were young guys. Yeah, in the we're harness. In the harness together in the same ministry, and so glad to have you. And you know what, Bob? Honestly, I, I know I'm going to embarrass you with this, but uh, you manifest so many qualities of the greatest person that ever lived that you're really a standout. And that person is Jesus, and you... You incorporate, I think, naturally so much of who he is, you may not even be aware of it. And today on Viewpoint, we're continuing a series about Jesus be, being like Jesus. Now, whoever's listening today, you may think, oh, I'm not into this for religious program. I'm not here for any spiritual food. I don't care about that stuff. I don't care who you are. I want to ask you the question, who are you like? Who do you want to be? What do you want to be in life? And there are many answers you could give, but I think if you stopped and thought about it, you might think, maybe I do want to be like Jesus. Absolutely. Bob, today we're going to talk about that, and I'm so glad you're here because actually you do some things that Jesus does really well, even unconsciously. We're going to draw that out today. Stay with us. So growing up, I wanted to be the President of the United States. Let's just get that out on the table. It's not a, a mystery. I've mentioned this many times. But when I was a kid, I was fascinated by politics. And I thought, I want to be like the President. I remember the election of John F. Kennedy against Richard Nixon in 1960. That's how old I am. My little childhood mind can frame that election. I remember it and thinking, boy, I want to grow up and be like one of those guys. How about you, Bob? When you were a kid, what were you thinking about? Well, you know, I had a lot of different manifestations. Of course, I was really fascinated with John Glenn when I was in the first <laughs> grade. I remember looking out the schoolhouse window thinking, maybe I could just see Gemini 1 in the sky. Had no concept, really, of outer space, but I just but thought... he was a hero. Yes. And you're from Ohio, so is John Glenn. Exactly. I can see how you'd be drawn there. And, of course, you and I grew up in an age when, boy, the space race and space program was so much front and center it in the really news. was. And what a great aspiration. John Glenn, a great man. All of that said, we all have those kind of dreams, don't we? And we are accustomed to wrestling with it when we're young. But even when we grow older, I think we still, maybe not so overtly out loud, say the question, but we still sometimes wonder... What do I want to be? And even after we get set into a career, we sometimes think, yes. what do I want to be? And the question really isn't about our vocation. The longer we live, the more important the question becomes of not just what do I want to be, which kind of suggests I'm going to be an astronaut mm -hmm. or I'll be a politician, but who do I want to be? Personhood. Yes. Who, who yeah. am I? Am I a guy that people like? Am I a guy that leaves the world in a better place than when I got here? Mm -hmm. Am I respected? Am I respected? Yeah, right. Am I happy? <laughs> Am I fulfilled? Am I stressed out? Am I anxious? What is it that I want to be? Who do I want to be? And that's what I'm suggesting to all of our listeners today, no matter what your frame of reference. You didn't tune into a religious broadcast here, per se, but we're talking about Jesus because, honestly, if you looked at history, there isn't anybody who else who's done yeah. more good, had greater influence, and actually who seemed to have more fulfillment inside than Jesus. 
Absolutely. Now, yeah. Let's just acknowledge there's parts of Jesus' life that were pretty tough. I'm not sure that I want to be murdered for crimes right. I didn't commit. Right. And he was. I'm not sure I want to be rejected by people, and he, right. was. he was. But somehow, his persona, his soul, his life, his essence, his being, his experience in this world still trumped all of that. And the truth is, all of us are going through hard times. All of us are going to have some tough stuff. I hope I'm never nailed to a cross or hauled to jail without cause or rejected by masses of people or have a a wild crowd chanting for my death as Jesus experienced all that. I'm not looking for that, but I do have some tough stuff. In my yeah, life. we all have difficulties. Man, it's not, the question isn't, is my life going to be easy? Get, get over that. It's not going to be. The question is, how do I live through it and still be a whole person filled with life? Right. What, huh. what example do I follow in the midst of it all? It's Jesus. Yeah. I want to be like him. Now, let's also acknowledge, I can't be Jesus. I'm not the son of God. I'm not a miracle worker. I don't have the same cachet that he has. He's a one of a kind. But he did say to people, follow me. He did. He encourages us to be like him. He actually says, the things you've seen me do, you can do greater stuff than that. He did, really. And actually in the New Testament, which tells us the story of Jesus' life and what happens next, we're told that our minds can be reframed, renewed with the mind of Christ. And actually people who follow Jesus are called the body of Christ, which says to me that there's more to it than mm-hmm. just kind of a set of intellectual propositions. Right. It's a way of life. It's the people of Jesus. I want to be like yeah. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Jesus be. Well, all of that said, Bob, you and I are looking at the life of Jesus this week, and we're reading some of the original content of the first biographies of Jesus. Matthew's gospel is a good one, the first book of the New Testament. We have there the history of Jesus' life. What can I learn? What can I draw from it? And as we read a passage today, Bob, this is where you come to my mind. But I've got to save some, some ammunition here. But Bob, let's look at Matthew chapter 13. And uh, in this chapter, Jesus is telling a series of stories. And let's start with verse 1, right at the beginning. Why don't you start, and then I'll take it through to verse 8. Okay. Later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. There he sat and taught as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. But the scripture continues. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell upon fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted." Now, those are just the first eight verses of Matthew 13. There's a lot more to be said about this parable of Jesus. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the parable, but also about the premise, how Jesus influenced others. As you're listening today, you may think, boy, I want to ask a question about that, or I've got some thoughts to share. We want you to know that this broadcast is always glad to hear from you. And there's a toll-free number. Write this down, 1-800-757-VIEW. 
That's 1-800-757-8439. And 24 hours a day and seven days a week, we're right by the phone. So glad to hear from you. We'll give you the number again at the broadcast's close. But for now, just know, we do want to hear from you. Bob, you and I have been uh, thinking about what it would be like to be like Jesus. How can we be more like him? And there's some obvious things. He was kind and forgiving and gracious. He was smart. He walked around a lot. We talked last week about how he was out and about with people. I mean, there's some obvious things about Jesus that we can draw to mind. But this passage says something to me that's maybe not so plain. And it's not just the wisdom of Jesus. I mean, boy, I'd like to have the wisdom, the intellectual capacity of Jesus. And I can pray that the Lord will help stretch my mind. But it's more than that. It's just the way in which he communicated. Mm -hmm. He was a storyteller. I mean, fundamentally, if you want to be like Jesus, you have to be a storyteller. Yeah, he really was. And maybe, Bob, that's what I've been talking about you as, as someone who models so much of Jesus well. You do naturally, you tell stories. Now, you've been a preacher, a pastor, a teacher, and anyone who is engaged in those pursuits knows that you have to engage the audience and arrest their attention to make a point. And I think you understand that by design, but I think just naturally, God wired you up to tell stories. You tell stories about growing up, about your dad, about your kids, about your grandkids, about your wife, about life in Northeast Ohio, about what it was in Wyoming when you lived there. I mean, I have this whole catalog of stories about Bob Moss, not because I think you designed a book of stories. It's just the way you communicate ideas. Mm. But that's very much like Jesus. But Bob, let's acknowledge something here. I'm going to guess it was for you as it was for me growing up as a kid, let's say, in elementary school, to be called a storyteller wasn't necessarily a good thing. (laughs) Not always, no. Maybe that was a reference to somebody who fabricated or or told a a stretching the truth kind of a a lie or something. Exaggerated the truth, invented a story, a narrative to mask something else. You know, you're a storyteller. Wasn't always a positive thing. Right. That use of the term seems to have kind of fallen by the wayside. I don't hear it used that way much anymore. But storytelling is a noble pursuit because telling stories is the way in which we learn and it's the way in which we remember, which brings us right back to the text we've read. Jesus was the master storyteller. He really was. I mean, nobody could tell a story better than Jesus. In fact, think about all the things that you know about Jesus. And to our listeners today, even if you've never been to church, if I said prodigal son... Yeah, most people know the story. You get the idea. How about Good Samaritan? Oh, yes. Everyone seems to know that story. You know, if, if I just had faith enough as a grain of mustard seed, I mean, there's so much in our vernacular, in our world, that is traced right back to a story that Jesus told. It's really true. And no matter where you go in the world, once a story of Jesus has been told, let's say the story of the Good Samaritan or the story of the prodigal son, the boy who wants his inheritance and runs away from home and squanders it all and then dad takes him back. I mean, once that story is told anywhere in the world, it is planted like a seed and never forgotten. It's always remembered. It's lived in the culture. It really is. Well, oh, planted like a seed. Well, that's our story today, isn't that's it? That's right. Jesus is talking about the kingdom. And so in Matthew chapter 13... There's a whole series of stories. The Bible calls them parables. But he's illustrating all these dimensions of the kingdom of God. Actually, his subject is the kingdom of God. That's what he's talking about. And in Matthew chapter 13, the author, we think it was Matthew, the disciple, congregated a group of these stories together in this one chapter. So there's a whole series of stories. And there's this one about the seeds. The seeds. Now, Bob, as we've read the story, just give me a praise. What do you think that story is about? Well, I really think it's about 
how truth falls on deaf ears in some places, but in other places, it's very, very impactful. Well, Jesus sets it up. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like a guy who's got seed, and you're describing the truth. He's, he's spreading this truth out. And as he spreads it out, the, the seed falls on all kinds of soil, which is referencing the, the different kinds of human hearts and receptivity. And sometimes it falls in a certain kind of soil, and it springs to life, and somebody's all excited about it, but then it withers up quickly because it's shallow. The heart is shallow. Right. The soil is shallow. And others are rocky and ground, and some of it's just choked out by weeds, but some of it, right. some of it lands in soil that's really fertile, and, and it produces fruit and grows, and well, the kingdom is like that. God's truth is like that. I mean, it's a masterwork. It really is. It's a genius. Anybody can understand that. Right. You think about the birds who take some of the seed away, like the, all the things that are distractions that, you know, you hear this this important truth is given to you, but the distractions quickly come and flutter away with it, and you, you're lost to the meaning. And so what is actually a very important and deep idea, truth lands on different kinds of soil. Different environments, and the, yes. And the outcome isn't, isn't a measure of the truth. The outcome is a measure of the soil. Yes. I mean, there's a lot to wrestle with there. And yet Jesus has captured it precisely, unforgettably, and beautifully, so that even a child Right, no can one can understand. deny it, yeah. Well, there's that story, but what about the application of it? I mean, how can I do that? When we come back, Bob, let's explore some of the applications of storytelling as we learn them from Jesus. Okay. Seems like all I could see was the struggle
stain Cause I'm not who I used to be I am redeemed You said me Bob, you and I have already talked about some of the famous stories of Jesus. There's the story, of course, of the prodigal son. It's a story about domestic relationships. Everybody has a parent. Many people have children. Often our families disappoint us. I mean, there's so much right. there, and yet a powerful truth is communicated. There's the story of the Good Samaritan. We all live in a world where there are mess-ups and people who are desperately in need. And we live in a world that has barriers and walls that divide and cultures that are at war or at least distant from each other. And yet, in the story of the Good Samaritan, we have some important truth. Mm-hmm. We have the stories of agriculture and fishermen and, I mean, just so many things. What does that tell us about storytelling? If I want to be like Jesus, what's the first thing I can learn about telling stories like Jesus? It seems Jesus? like the first thing we learn is to pay attention to the environment and what people can relate to. What's going on in the world? And, and what's the common thread of experience? You know, I took some classes in college on rhetoric, and I'll never forget classical Greek rhetoric. The first rule of communication is identification with the audience. The idea being, if you have something that you share in common with the audience, you have to put that out there up front to allow the audience to hear whatever you have to say. Now, that's for a, an address, a lecture, you might say. But even in ordinary relationships, even if it's just one person that I'm engaged with, I'm not going to be able to influence that person until that person believes I share something in common with them. Isn't that true? Oh, I think it's very true that people begin to realize that you have some understanding of the world in which they live. And that brings us to a story. So the first rule of storytelling, if I want to be like Jesus, I have to pay attention to the world around me, to people around me, and their context, and then develop stories from that context, not my own. So if it's a story from Seattle, which is where I grew up, and I grew up near Fisherman's Terminal, Salmon Bay, in a neighborhood called Ballard, where all these Scandinavian migrant fishermen were, boy, the stories that Jesus tells about fishing, I'm there. Because as a child, I watched the fishermen haul those nets off the boat, and the fish could be just laid out there, and people would come down like a fish market on the street. And I mean, boy, that resonates with me. Now, to tell that story in Indiana isn't quite so compelling, because that doesn't happen here in Indiana, where I live now. It's not a seashore, yes. Yeah, but there's some corn growing here. Yes, there is. (laughs) The parable of the sower really works here. It does. And I can even make the story of the fish work out of my own experience. How? Because it's somebody's job. It's how they make a living. Or, you know, I have to build a bridge to the person I'm talking to at some level of commonality. Yes. So, prodigal son, everybody's got a parent. Everybody's got a brother. or a Somebody sister. has a child. We've all had somebody in our family that disappointed us. There's a bridge. What's another way which Jesus tells stories that, uh, well, I think 
can teach us, I think, is because Jesus saw heaven's truth in everything. In everything. He was tuned up. He was looking at a mustard seed. He was looking at a man sowing his field of crops. He was looking at the fishermen. He was looking at the domestic scenario. He's looking at the road to Jericho, which he traveled many times, which gave birth to the Good Samaritan story. And in every place, he saw evidence of heaven's truth. We don't do that. I think not. And then when he tells the story, those who, who next travel that road, they're going to be thinking about that story. Or when you walk by a field, you're going to be thinking about the story. Or when you see the birds of the air fly over, you think about a story. So Jesus not only used the things that were at hand, but the things that are so common that it brings you a remembrance of the story, the teaching that he gave. And the truth he found in the birds of the air or the lilies of the field because he was looking for it. And I think this is what I have to do better. I have to look for heaven's truth displayed in the world around me instead of walking by it all the time. So often we're begging God for some disclosure. I I need a word from you, Lord. I need this or that. And we have the scripture, the Holy Bible, I believe, is a word from God. But he also speaks through the things he has made. I love biography. I think biography is the most interesting read. It doesn't matter who the character is or what their story is like. I think I can find proof of heaven's truth in the biography. If you read the story about someone who has no time for God and their life may have success in this world's measure or whatever, but it's going to have some mess-ups too and so on and so forth. As I'm reading that, I see that their life is still proving God's truth true because the premises of the Scripture are still playing out in that life. No matter what. If I'm reading about Billy Graham, let's say, a person who's given his whole life to following Jesus, his biography still proves the truth true because his story still resonates with the premises of Scripture and so on. In life, whether it be in nature or in current events, in advertising, in marketing, in our culture, in our neighborhood, in our family, in our vocations, we need to pray that God will show us truth in everything around us, and that will inspire us to translate that truth into a story that people can remember. Yes, and they'll think about it for years to come. And maybe it's like that seed that's planted. It doesn't immediately cause an effect, but it does because you've told a story and it stays planted in somebody's remembrance. We all know that stories live. And we want stories that live truth. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be baptized like Jesus was. I want to be the friend of sinners like Jesus was. I want to be a storyteller like Jesus was. And when I say that Jesus was, I'm speaking about the Jesus who walked in a human body in this world. But Jesus still is alive. He is. And he's coming back. And until he comes back, we are his body. We are his body of Christ. His spirit can live in us and conform us to his will and way. And in that, I want to be the storyteller that Jesus was today until he comes back. You might think it's beyond your capacity, but every one of us can tell a story. We just have to be careful that our story relates to the people that we're speaking to and that our story captures a truth that is heaven's own. That's true. You can be like Jesus. You can influence others for the good. You can actually speak into their lives and give them things that they will never forget that will make them better people. Can you do that? Yes, you can if you follow Jesus. Take a step that way with us right now and pray. 
Our Father, we're so thankful today for your Son, Jesus, who walked in this world and walked ahead of us. But not just ahead of us, he's walking alongside of us too, and he wants to walk in us. We thank you for all the ways he showed us how to live, and today especially, perhaps strangely, we thank you for his storytelling, for the truths that are still resonant in our hearts and our minds, our conversation, because of the stories he told. And Lord, we want to be like that. We want to be able to look around our world and translate the ordinary things and make them extraordinary. We want to see the natural things and make them supernatural. We want to speak into people's lives in ways that make them to be better people and call the best out of us as well. Lord, tune our eyes to see your truth in the ordinary events and things of our time. And then, Lord, tune our hearts and our lips to be able to share those truths with stories that are themselves accurate, solid, honest, and powerful. Lord, we know that we can't get there until we surrender to you. So we surrender to you our lives. Forgive us of our sin. Cause us to be born fresh and new. Fill us with your spirit and help us to be like your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you'd like to know more about Jesus, about whom we've been speaking today, if you'd like to know more about how your own life can be different and better than it is now, if you'd like to know more about how you could make this world a better place, well, for all of those reasons, give us a call. Just dial this number, 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439. We're by the phone 24 hours a day and seven days a week. So glad to hear from you. You can also check us out online. Our web address, CBH Christians Broadcasting Hope, cbhviewpoint.org. You can read about the ministry there. You can also send us an email, and we will reply. Or at the last, just send us a letter. Address it to Jim Lyon, Viewpoint, Post Office Box 2420, Anderson, Indiana 46018, USA. But whether you call us up, go online, or send us a letter using Surface Mail, please let us hear from you this week. Bob Moss, so glad to be in your company. So glad for the stories you've told me over our lifetime. I'm better for them. Oh, thanks, Jim. And we thank you for tuning in today. We hope you'll be with us again next week as we once more look at how we could be like Jesus, Jesus B. If you'd like a copy of our book, Jesus B, also just let us hear from you by phone, by email, or by post. For all of us at the Viewpoint team, for all of us at Church of God Ministries, which is the host of our broadcast, this is Jim Lyon. Stay tuned.